everyone, Jason Malone here. Welcome to the Jesus on Display podcast. Before we begin today's content, I wanted to say thanks for supporting us here at Fellowship Greenville with your gifts and your generosity. Because of your giving, we get to share resources like this podcast with you to help reach you wherever you are in your life with Jesus. If you'd like to support the ministry of Fellowship Greenville, you can head to fellowshipgreenville.org forward slash give to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. If you grew up in or around the church, I think of the seven churches, Laodicea is probably the one that pastors have used quite a bit to talk with folks. I heard a good bit about it myself uh, growing up. I'm not sure I really grasped what was being said uh, up until I was in college. I took a 10-week, five days a week study through the book of Revelation my senior year at Cedarville University. Now, when I was growing up, I might have heard some people say something along these lines. Um, God wants you to be spiritually hot, passionate, hardworking Christian, or, or he'd even prefer you to be spiritually cold, an apathetic, you know, an apathetic person who doesn't even follow him. Be that, but don't be a person who claims to know Jesus, but is lazy about their walk with him. And I remember thinking, really? Is that, is that what's being said? And then there's this talk about Jesus spitting people out of his mouth. The word there actually translates vomit. That's pretty strong. Jesus is so fed up that he wants to vomit people out of his mouth. So what in the world is this all about? Now here, I believe the key to understanding what Jesus is saying is actually understanding a bit more about the city of Laodicea itself And we've unpacked this a bit with each of the letters to the churches because there are some specific word choices by Jesus in each letter based off of the places, the cities, and the history of those cities that these followers of Jesus find themselves living in. So it makes sense that that's also happening here with Laodicea. And in Laodicea, the city sat six miles south of a town called Hierapolis and 11 miles west of Colossae, as in Colossians. You're familiar, the Church of Colossae. And these three cities made up what, it was, what was known as the Lycus Valley. And this little topography lesson is important because the way the cities were situated meant that Laodicea didn't have a natural water supply. It actually depended on the other two towns surrounding it to supply their water that they needed. And if you study, you'll read and find that Hierapolis was known for their hot springs used for healing properties. Colossae was known for its cold, refreshing, drinkable water back in the day. All of that to say, when Jesus says, I wish you were hot, or I wish you were cold, I wish you weren't lukewarm, the church, as they receive this letter, they know full well the imagery imagery he is using, and they know his statement is not about their spiritual temperature, but about the fact that their works as the church in that town are useless. Cold water, I can use that. Hot water, I can use that. Lukewarm water, which was the water often as it traveled and finally made its way to the town of Laodicea, not good for anything. Matter of fact, Jesus says it makes him sick. Strong words. It's not the first time we've studied through these letters and seen Jesus say hard things, but this definitely catches our attention. And here's what I think, I think, you would think that they thought, right? Like what Jesus is saying here would be enough to kind of get their attention. 
Wouldn't it be enough that Jesus says, hey, you guys, as I observe you and your life and as I observe your witness in this town, I see indifference and I see apathy and I see complacency. Hey, church, you're here to impact the city with the good news and offer hope and healing for those suffering, those who are spiritually exhausted, and to invite people into life with me. But instead, you're a cup of lukewarm water. You would think just these few words would catch their attention, encourage them to make some changes, but there actually is more to the root of their issue. The root of the issue is the lie. They were living day in and day out the lie, the lie from the beginning. I am self-sufficient. Look back at verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove, I discipline. So be zealous and repent. There it is, did you see it? Jesus says to the church of Laodicea, you think that you need nothing. You think that you have it all. The root is that you're arrogant and you're prideful and you have placed yourself at the center of your universe. Now some of you may wonder, and it's, 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 good, it's fine to wonder this, you may wonder, now why does God really care if some people who claim to follow him operate from the premise that they have all that they need apart from him? Or I might say, in conjunction with him. Because for many of us, it's not the lie of I don't need you, Jesus. I'm self-sufficient. For many of us, it's the lie of, I want you, Jesus, but actually, I'm still pretty self-sufficient. Which actually is the same thing as saying the first thing. But we lie to ourselves to convince ourselves to feel better about ourselves. So back to my question. Why does God really care that we're relying on ourselves instead of him? Well, here are a few verses for you to give you a glimpse. His word's not mine. Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other. Isaiah 48, 11. My glory I will not give to another. Simply put, God's not interested in people who claim to be followers of his making everything about themselves. And Jesus is saying to the church of Laodicea, your arrogant self-sufficiency has actually led to your complacency, to your lukewarmness, to your apathy, and the lack of spiritual impact in this town. And again, Jesus uses the imagery, look at all of this, Jesus uses the imagery of buy gold from me that is refined by fire and white garments to clothe yourself in your nakedness and salve to anoint your eyes so that you can actually see. So he takes all the things the town was known for, banks and wool and med schools. The med school was famous for ophthalmology. It's how they made their wealth. And he flipped it to make his point. In the midst of all of your perceived self-sufficiency, you're broke. In the midst of all of your perceived self-sufficiency, you're naked. In the midst of all of your perceived self-sufficiency, you're blind. In the midst of all of your perceived self-sufficiency, you're actually desperate. You're believing and living the lie that has been around from the beginning. And you don't realize it, 
because the person you lie to the most is yourself. And listen, I'm not sure how you process these words from Jesus. I would guess uh, for some of you, based on your background, they might come across as harsh. They might come across as unloving. But did you know, listen, they're stern. There's no doubt about that. But I don't believe they're angry. As a matter of fact, in the Greek, these descriptors in verse 17 of wretched and poor, blind and naked, they all end in the same sound. And in Greek, it's the sound of compassion, which is actually what you see when you read verse 19. Look back at it. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Do you hear what Jesus says here? Jesus says, I love you, so repent. And at the heart of repentance is an acknowledgement that you aren't self-sufficient. An acknowledgement that you've been attempting to be self-sufficient. But my encouragement to you is to be specific in the repentance. Like none of this is general stuff. Name the thing. I've been thinking about that this week as I've been studying this. No, I'm going to stand up and teach it. What, are my, what areas of my life am I currently li- attempting to live in my own self-sufficiency? And then at the same time, don't be overly discouraged because Jesus isn't telling all of them that he's done with them. He's not saying get lost. He's not saying you bunch of losers. He's not saying there is no hope. As a matter of fact, Jesus is saying, here is some counsel from me to you. How kind is that to a self-sufficient people? He still offers counsel. And not only counsel, he offers a wonderful, incredible invitation. Look back at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, how is... How great is that for an invitation? Now, again, some of you may have heard this verse used back in the day in an evangelical, evangelistic way when someone was encouraging non-Christians to come to Jesus. And maybe that's your story. And when you came to Jesus, someone used this verse. And I want to let you know if that's the case, you're good to go. It counted. But (laughs) we've already established that these words are to the church, not to the unchurched. And again, understanding the city itself that it's being written to really is important to help you get the understanding. This week I was reading, I read this from Colin Hemmer. It said this, I thought it was so good. Jesus has once again drawn on imagery familiar to the people of Laodicea in order to make his point. For the city was situated four square on one of the most important road junctions in Asia Minor. Each of the four city gates opened to a busy trade route. The inhabitants of Laodicea, therefore, would have been very familiar with the belated traveler who stood at the door and knocked for admission. What is it that Jesus is saying? What is this invitation? To all of you who claim with your lips to follow me and walk with me and represent me in this world, I want to let you know that the lie still exists of self-sufficiency. And even as a follower of mine, you can at times choose self-sufficiency over walking with me. 
And that self-sufficiency over time will lead to your complacency. It will lead to your apathy. It will lead to your spiritual lukewarmness. It will impact your communion with me. I love this invitation of Jesus. He's not kicking the door down. I'm gonna huff, I'm gonna puff, and I'm gonna kick it in. It's not the invitation of Jesus. John Piper says it this way, I thought it was so good. This letter is addressed to lukewarm Christians who think they have need of nothing more of Christ. It is addressed to churchgoers who do not enjoy the riches of Christ or the garments of Christ or the medicine of Christ because they keep the door shut to the inner rooms of their lives. All the dealings they have with Christ are business like lukewarm dealings with a salesman on the porch. But Christ did not die to redeem a bride who would keep him on the porch while she watched TV in the den. His will for the church is that we open the door, all the doors of our life. He wants to, he wants to join you in the dining room to spread a meal out for you and to eat it with you and talk with you. The opposite of lukewarmness is the fervor you experience when you enjoy a candlelit dinner with Jesus Christ in the innermost room of your heart. What I want to articulate this morning is that these words from Jesus to the church at Laodicea are for every person in this room who knows Jesus to consider today, inviting you to ask some questions that I've been asking myself. Where are you currently living self-sufficiently? Where are you currently buying into the lie that what you want is the center of the universe or that you are the center of the universe? Or maybe the issue is that you're attempting to realize a better self-sufficient version of yourself. That's what's most important to you. That line of thought is pervading Western evangelical Christianity and it'll destroy you. In what ways have we grown apathetic, complacent, in our walk with Jesus as a result of our self-centeredness. Does that make sense? Like start peeling the onion back. So some of you might quickly go, I've been pretty apathetic. I've been pretty complacent. But peel that onion back. And I think what you find underneath that is what was going on with the church of Laodicea. Underneath the lukewarmness, they thought they had everything they needed in and of themselves. Or maybe I could ask it this way. In what ways are you spending your life building your own throne to sit on when you're being invited to sit with Jesus on his? In what ways are you spending your life building your own throne to sit on when you're being invited to sit with Jesus on his? Look at verse 21. The one who conquers. I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. How about this? Don't push away what the spirit is saying to you today in regards to your tendency, my tendency towards self-sufficiency and complacency. Lean in. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus says, to the one who conquers, you will sit with me on my throne. And again, this language of conquerors is present tense hope for their 
our future reality as followers of Jesus. And I am undone by this thought. If you want a beautiful picture of what Jesus is actually saying here, then keep reading. Because as soon as you come out of chapter 3, you go right into what? Revelation 4 and Revelation 5, where the throne room of heaven is described in unbelievable detail. If you get the chance this week, go read it. Because I believe that it makes this invitation from Jesus just come to life so much more. There is an invitation from Jesus here to this church that was living in self-sufficient apathy and complacency. Walk with me. He's not telling them to get lost. Walk with me. Every part of your life, every corner, you will sit with me on my throne. Not because we've earned anything, but because of his grace and mercy. Not because of your sufficiency or my sufficiency, but because of his sufficiency. Jesus is our sufficiency. And I saved the first verse of this passage for last on purpose because I think we see in it the compelling piece of the rebuke and the exhortation and the promise. Look back at verse 14. This is what it says. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He, Jesus Christ, is the amen, the faithful and true witness. Amen means um, strong affirmation of something written or something said. It's acknowledging that something is valid. It's acknowledging that something is binding. It is a way of saying something is trustworthy, that something is foundational. And the reason I give all of those descriptors is because Jesus did not say amen. Jesus said, I am the amen. It means that he is your affirmation. It means that he is your validation. He is your confirmation. It means that you can actually decline the lie of the world that we live in 24-7 of self-sufficiency. It means because of Jesus, you can actually reject passivity. You can reject apathy. That you can embrace sweet fellowship with the creator of the universe. Jesus says, look to me because I am the amen. The Jesus on Display podcast is produced right here at Fellowship Greenville in Greenville, South Carolina. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Follow and share this podcast with anyone who might be interested or curious about our church community or how storytelling unites us and helps us feel more connected. To actively keep up with what's going on at our church, head to our website at fellowshipgreenville.org Follow us on all social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks so much for tuning in. Grace and peace to you for your week. We'll see you next time.